Hi, this is Father Simon, your friend in cyberspace. I hope you can enjoy one of our favorite shows of the past year, and I hope that you and your family have a very Merry Christmas and a truly blessed New Year. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome, and um, again, we are keeping the our friends in Florida in prayer. It was I called down there today to to see how the people I know are doing, and uh, I have a lot of very close friends, and, and as if relatives down in Kissimmee, so uh, I'd ask Special prayer for a friend who's on uh, a member of uh, former member of our choir at St. Lambert's, who's on uh, Sanibel Island, which really got hit. And for so many of of people we care about and and uh, should care about in Florida, and uh, well, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And on his feast day, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the earth, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Uh, Saints also, Gabriel and Raphael, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know, maybe I'll say that for the word of the day. Saint, that we call them Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. I thought they were angels, not saints. We'll talk about it. That might be a good word of the day. All right, but let's... No, not the Ninja Turtles, the voice of Ninja, said the angels. All right, let's move along here. All right, open up the big book on the coffee table. Oh, we did that? Oh, it's open. Good. That's right. We did. We're doing it again, apparently, because, well, I don't know what I've done. All right. Here we are. This is from the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter and following. And, uh, of course, it's a little abbreviated in the reading. Um, in the reading, we have verses, let's see here, 9 to 10, and then we skip 11 and 12, uh, which are in there. Um so let's 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 take a quick peek at them. Okay, clicking on the appropriate spot, we go to eleven and twelve. It, it's it, this is kind of an interesting example of why they might take it out of the text. I watch then from the first of the arrogant words which the horn spoke. This is kind of interesting. There's a horn. <laughs> okay, let's go back. Um, the the we see from the beginning of the chapter this is very much like the book of revelation oh good grief how'd that happen oh that's a horn yeah okay um this is verse 
uh, um, one of the chapter, which I think we have to go back to. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, as Daniel lay in bed, he had a dream, a vision in his head, and he wrote down the dream. In the vision I saw... Uh, the four winds of heaven, which stirred up the great sea, from which em- emerged four immense beasts, each different from the others. The first was like a lion, but with eagle's wings. While I watched, the wings were being plucked. The second was like a bear. Uh, uh, and then after this, I saw another beast like a leopard. Uh, and the visions of the night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, horrible, and of extraordinary strength, with great iron teeth, with which it devoured and crushed and trampled with its feet. Uh, what was left, it differed from the beast that preceded it. It had ten horns. This sounds just like the book of Revelation, if you're reading it. Uh, and I was considering the ten horns, and suddenly another little horn sprang out of their midst. As I watched, then we get to our reading for today. Um, uh, oh, uh, the horn had eyes like human eyes, the mouth that spoke arrogantly. So, all right, if you're a literalist, and we've been talking about that in the recent days. Okay, there's this horn that has eyes and a mouth. This this is uh, this is unimaginable. That's because this is a vision, and and visions are like waking dreams. I suspect I've never had a vision, though I know people have had, and um, they. Uh, I've talked about visions, um, and when I do, I refer to Roy Shulman, the author of. Uh, salvation is from the Jews and the story of his conversion, Honey from the Rock. And in Honey from the Rock, he talks about uh, his conversion as an experience that much involved the Blessed Mother, that that was he realized was uh, the ability to see through the veil, which separates this world and what I like to call the real world, the spiritual world. This world is a temporary arrangement. The spiritual dimension is an eternal thing. So a visionary is someone who sees through this. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you see something that uh, you can't identify and you're looking at it, it looks like a face. It looks like a, oh, it's just, you know, <laughs> this is... This is one a little embarrassing. I remember when I was at St. Um, Thomas of Canterbury, they had set up uh, a beautiful shrine to Our Lady of Fatima and a very dramatic lighting on it, the Vietnamese community. It was the Blessed Mother in a, this pagoda. It was really neat. And the Vietnamese and the Hispanics are back pointing and buzzing. And the housekeeper ran up to me, Margarita, and she said, Father, the Blessed Mother is crying. And I went back to look, and this dramatic lighting had had simply accented sort of a bump in the plaster of the statue and cast a shadow. And I went and I scratched it away. I said, no, it's just a bit of plaster. And I, the housekeeper never forgave me. <laughs> she said, I stopped the Blessed Mother crying. And I said, that was a good thing. I, and it was a bit of plaster. But when you looked at it at first, it did look like she was crying. You know, we are trained, just hardwired, really, in our brains when we see something to identify it with something that we know. And that's what goes on, I think, in visions, that we see something for which we have no frame of reference. And when we try to describe it, well, it was like a horn, but it had eyes and it had a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. What? Okay, that's the background of this. As I watched, thrones were set up. The Ancient of Days took his throne. That's, of course, the Almighty God. Um, uh, his throne was flames of fire with wheels of burning fire. 
Mm-hmm. Thousands upon thousands were ministering to him. Uh, um, the court was convened. The books were opened. Then we have the verses taken out. I watched then from the first of the arrogant words which the horn spoke until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the burning fire. As for other beasts, their dominion was taken away and they were granted a prolongation of life for a time and a season. And as the visions of during the night continued, I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. Uh, um, when he reached the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, he received dominion, splendor, and kingship. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself. Um, that that um, This idea of, of the Son of Man. So many people say, well, Jesus was just saying, I'm not God, I'm just a human being. Not what he's saying. He was saying, as in Daniel, I am a celestial being. You really can't understand the New Testament, I always tell you, without knowing the Old Testament, knowing it well. Because the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old. So, well, let's go back out, back to our reading. Uh, the, well, oh, there's something I did want to mention that, that continued, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the text, uh, after we, we read verse 14 and verse 15 says, because of this, my spirit was anguished and I, Daniel was terrified by my visions. I approached one of those present and asked him the truth of all this. And then he explains it. Um, and people, uh, um, try to identify, well, this is the Greek Empire, this is the Roman Empire. Who knows what it was? Daniel, who had the vision, didn't quite know what it was. And in the vision, there it's being explained to him. But it, it it's a warning. Again, in, in we read in, in the Gospel of John at the Last Supper, when Jesus says, I have told you these things so that when they happen, you might not be frightened. In other words, you can't understand a vision. Uh, but if, let me find that verse. You can't quite understand a vision until you, until it comes to pass. Uh, I have. Oh, here we go. I've told you these things beforehand. Oh, there's there's the elevator music. We'll we'll get it. Okay. I think it's an important verse when we talk about. Yeah, John. Okay, I got it. John fourteen twenty nine. You've heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. I've told you before it happens so that when it does happen, you will not. I'm changing this. You will trust. Okay, that's that's uh, um, um, uh, the sense of prophecy. And again, he says it in John uh, 13, 19, a little before this, he says, uh, I'm speaking about all, I'm not speaking about all of you. This is, this is, uh, he, when he's saying you are all, cl- you are clean all, but you know, one of you, uh, I'm telling you this now before it happens so that when it comes to pass, you will believe, you will trust that I am he, that I'm the one. So, that's the sense in which we receive a vision. Well, we need to know ahead of time what's going to... No, we don't. We don't need to know ahead of time. You know, there's a wonderful contemporary Christian song that says, uh, I know who holds the future. He's the one who holds my hand. That That's that's enough. That No, no, no. we got to know that the, well, Gog is Russia and Magog is China and the, the beast with the ten horns is this and 
when it happens, it will be obvious. Uh, again, forgive me for repeating myself. I'm old and that's my excuse. Um, the, the Yemenite Jewish community always had a belief, they had a prophecy among them, that one day birds with great silver wings would come to take them to the Holy Land. Uh, and when they were surrounded by their enemies after the Israeli state was declared, uh, the uh, British Air Force flew in and airlifted all of the Yemeni, Yemeni Jews out of Yemen. Uh, to the Holy Land, and as the planes were landing, a little boy uh, said, "Mommy, look! It's the it's the birds with the silver wings. Those weren't birds with silver wings. Those were planes. That's the, what a literalist would say. But oh, now I understand that prophecy. It happened. You see, prophecy and poetry are related because there are some things that we cannot describe in realistic terms. We can only describe them poetically so that when we labor to, to exactly pin down the future, I, I really think that's inappropriate. We look, we read these things, and the Holy Spirit speak to us, speaks to us through them. Uh, a book like the Book of Revelations refers to the past, it refers to the present, and it refers to the future all at once. So it's worth reading, but on the other hand, you, you're not going to understand it fully, and I think even largely. And well, then we jump to the book of Revelations. It's an alternate reading, not a second reading, but an alternate reading. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back. And the huge dragon, the ancient serpent, was called the devil and Satan. You know, we have the, the serpent. Uh, we have uh, references to the dragon. We have the references to the devil and to Satan. And this, as far as I can tell, is the first place in Scripture where it all comes together. That this dragon, this serpent, the devil who's the slanderer, and Satan, uh, 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 who we read about in the book of Revelation, or rather the book of Job, it's all the same being. So uh, just an interesting thing about that. Let me see. Is there anything I want um, to look at. No, let's go to the gospel though. All right. Uh, John, the first chapter, the 47th verse, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, here's a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity. And that's a pretty good translation. And Nathanael is the one who said, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Understand Nazareth was a little town that was nowhere. Uh, it was a, a, um, a settlement that the returning uh, exiles of the old threadbare uh, royal family had settled in. Um, uh, they, they settled in two towns, apparently, one east of the Jordan, Kokoba, and then Nazareth. Nazareth means the little shoot. It's about the prophecy of, uh, um, uh, of Isaiah, uh, a, a, a shoot shall rise out of Jesse. And that shoot was Nazareth, a little shoot, not C-H-U-T-E as in Wisconsin, but still they like hearing it. So it was, it was nowhere. It was just, it, it was a tiny town, but they were, they had their own synagogue. They didn't go over the hill to the other synagogue. Um, after all, they were the Davidic family. And so Nathaniel says, what good can come from Nazareth? Uh, so, Nowhere. And it's funny because he's such a cynic, uh, but he, he, 
uh, he's overwhelmed by one one miracle. Uh, <laughs> so this is uh, uh, how we all are. You know, pe- people, I think, um, can get very, very... Um, uh, what's the word? Can get very excited about miracles, and that's that's good. That that's uh, uh, that's fine. However, it isn't. It isn't. Jesus said that by their fruits you shall know them. Um, the fruits of of the Holy Spirit are love and peace and patience and joy. That's how you identify. Um, um, something that's really from the Lord. And, uh, you know, I heard a joke once um, that, that um, you know, the, the scripture says that signs and wonders uh, will follow the believer, but um, it's often that believers uh, follow the uh, <laughs> the signs. Uh, you know, there's a great miracle. Oh, this is from God. Not necessarily. Devil can work miracles. Uh, book of the book of the Didache, to which I often refer, the teaching of the twelve apostles, that comes from probably late first century, early second century. It's uh, uh, it's spelled D I D A C A G. If you want to look it up, the Didache, you can find it online. It sort of tells you what to do when a prophet comes to town, and one of the things it says is you'll know a true prophet because he will have a prophet's ways about him. In other words, don't judge a prophet by his miracles. Judge him by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And and that's kind of what Jesus is warning uh, uh, Nathaniel, who, oh, by the way, who is also other elsewhere called Bartholomew, same guy. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. He says, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there's no record of a vision uh, of Nathaniel in which he saw this, but Jesus was saying that, uh, I think he was saying in a very beautiful way, you're going to see by getting to know me, you will come to realize that I'm more than just a carpenter from Nazareth. So this is uh, a beautiful, beautiful line that, that it takes us all the way back to the vision of Jacob. You remember the vision of Jacob when Jacob fell asleep and had a vision of angels ascending and descending on the ladder uh, <clears throat> to heaven? Well, that's what he's saying. Just like Jacob, you're going to see uh, angels coming and going. I'm, in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm Jacob's ladder. Think about that. He, they're descending and ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And uh, uh, hold on, let me let me find this. Um, uh, we're gonna get the music. Ah, I've got ha. Ah, beat him. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Let's see what it says. It says, um, uh, it, "Upon the Son of Man." This is kind of a double entendre. He's or, uh, he's seeing the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of God. Okay. In other words, they're coming down around him. Jesus is saying that he, he I, the way I hear it, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I hear it that, you can hear me clicking away because I want to find that passage in the Old Testament. Uh, um, I'll get it here. That the Jacob's ladder is, is his dream 
in in uh, uh, chapter 28 of the book of Exodus, uh, that 28 verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba and um, uh, he set up, took a stone and put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, a hard pillow. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angel of God ascending and descending on it. The angels of heaven are ascending and descending on Jesus. Jesus, the way I read, I may be wrong in this, please forgive me, but Jesus is Jacob's ladder. His ancestor, Jacob, who was named Israel, had a vision of his distant descendant, who was the very ladder to heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm Jacob's ladder. In other words, he's saying to Nathaniel, not you're going to have a vision of angels and and uh, um, going up and down. No, you're going to see who I am. I'm the ladder to heaven. I think that's gorgeous, that, that idea of it. Uh, so this is Genesis 28, and uh, we look at Luke, uh, the, the 12th chapter, the 20th verse. Jesus was shown to Jacob in the form of a ladder, and Jesus still is the ladder on which we climb to heaven. I think that's a neat thing. All right, let's go to a break. Let's see harebrained theories I got. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Mark, who's listening in Kentucky, for donating his Mini Cooper. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. Isn't that beautiful? This is a Sabbath song. Peace be with you. Ministering angels, messengers of the Most High, messengers of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. Come in peace, messengers of peace, messengers of the Most High, messengers of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. Bless me with peace, the messengers of peace. This is a song that I, I will always remember Rabbi Lefkowitz's son, Levi and Moshe, as we'd walk over from the synagogue, the times that I was there, um, they would be singing this song. And it's believed that on Sabbath night, on the Friday night, that the angels accompany, um, accompany you home from Sabbath, uh, from synagogue, uh, as you celebrate the first, first meal of of Sabbath. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. And we Christians believe it is quite an accurate idea. On Sunday morning, when you come home from church with your kids or with whoever you go with, even if you're coming home alone, you're not alone. 
I think the angels accompany you. What a beautiful thought. Well, that said, um, good grief. Let us go now to uh, letters, of which I have many. Where did I put them? This is kind of a fun one. Let's see. I got one here. This is a question from a listener. Um, uh, what does in persona Christi mean? Well, in persona Christi uh, means in the person of Christ. So I think you got to ask, <laughs> of course, it's a simple question, <laughs> to which I will now give a complicated answer. Uh, the simple answer would be it means in the person of Christ. But you know you're not going to get a simple answer from me. A priest says Mass, he does so in persona Christi. This is so important. In the person of Christ, as if he were Christ. You know, there's all this controversy about, should we raise our hands at the Our Father, or should just the priest raise his hands at the Our Father? And Oh, you know, pick the hill you want to die on. That's not, that's not as big a deal as... Uh, as you might, it's a very big deal. Maybe it is to you, but I don't think it is to most people. However, traditionally and customarily, only the priest raises his hands in prayer at the Our Father because he is in the person of Christ. In other words, it's as if Jesus is standing at the altar inviting you to call his Father your Father. But he's the one doing it. So he's the one who raises the hands. That's as I understand the tradition. But he's in the person of Christ. Now, the word persona, persona was actually a mask that they used in theater in the ancient world that had a megaphone in it. Uh, you know, an actor, you've heard me say, in the ancient world had to have a beautiful body and a beautiful voice, but he could have the face of a goat because no one saw his face. It was covered with a mask. And in that mask was this megaphone uh, so that you could hear up in the cheap seats. Uh, so that was a persona. It literally means to make a sound through. And when a priest is saying mass, he's supposed to be making a sound through Christ. Or the Christ is, well, Christ is supposed to be making the sound through him. And the cult of personality that we have developed in the church, I think, is very much opposed to that. I Again, I was talking about, I was just blown away by the beauty and simplicity of the Mass at St. Mark's in, I think it's Huntersville, uh, North Carolina, uh, Father Putnam's parish, and a wonderful priest, Father Melchizedek, said Mass. He was very definitely in persona Christ. He was African, uh, uh, and uh, just said the mass with great simplicity. He he uh, uh, improvised nothing. He said nothing cute. He said nothing. Uh, um, uh, um, you know, he didn't even preach the sermon. The deacon preached a very good sermon, Deacon Tom. But he was so in. I just was amazed how much he was in persona Christi. He was in the personality of Christ. Uh, that that it wasn't about him. So. Uh, at any rate, I, I I just think, you know, the Mass be at the old... I, I talked a great deal about that yesterday, but the old Mass or the new Mass, both when they're done with dignity and simplicity and proper reverence and done in persona Christi, they're both wonderfully beautiful. Uh, and when they are done to make a political point or when they are done to emphasize the, the, the splendor of the clergyman saying them, well... <sighs> Moving along. All right, let's see. I got another one here. Let's see right here. Oh, this is kind of interesting. This is from John in uh, New York. Uh, 
he says, Father, in what sense is fool employed in Luke twelve twenty? Jesus says in one point uh, that you should call no man raka. Raka means someone who is shallow. That's probably the meaning. It literally means someone who's beat out as you would beat out a sheet of gold to make it paper thin. You know, it's a thinness, uh, mental and spiritual thinness uh, that we shouldn't call that we shouldn't say that to one another call no man raka fool in that sense but this is not this is not that same word john this is afron which means senseless without without consideration someone who is phronimos in greek is someone who who really gets the big picture and he perceives it and he's thoughtful and looks before he leaps someone who is afron that's a privative alpha it means it it's you're not that he's he jumps before he looks he's a fool he's inconsiderate in the sense that he doesn't consider things not that he's cruel but he's he's inconsiderate doesn't think of of the situation or or the the problems of others so uh, excellent question again thanks john i hope that that answers your question now i've got to go to this one let's see here this is uh, okay um uh, let's see here Okay. Okay. This is, I mentioned, um, this is from Terry. Uh, on Friday, September 16th, you mentioned that we should be attending the parish in whose boundaries we live. It is customary. It's no longer required as far as I know, but it is customary. What about national parish that I see from time to time? For example, our diocese has at least two Hispanic national parishes and one Vietnamese national parish. as Polish National Catholic Church in, in the neighboring diocese. Well, yes, there are ethnic parishes, but first let me tell you, Polish National Catholic Church is not affiliated with, is not in union with the, the See of Rome. It is, um, it was a, a, a reaction, um, I probably should look that up, but it was a reaction to, uh, I think, to the First Vatican Council. Um, uh, let me, let me pull this up. Polish Na- National Catholic Church, uh, is an independent old Catholic Church founded by Polish Americans. It is not in communion with the Roman Catholic Church and differs in, uh, theologically in several aspects. So uh, it it um, it permits things like uh, let's see, uh, uh, let's see here. It uh, um, it has a complete. It has. Well, I don't. I, I'd have to really look at the different doctrines. But it, it is not Catholic in the sense that we mean it. So um, that's not what we would call a national church. But there are churches that cater to specific nationalities, and these existed uh, back when mass was in Latin. It's kind of funny. You would have uh, the German church on one corner and the Irish church on the other corner. And uh, if you went to the German church and you were Irish, the pastor would say, "No, you got to go across the Irish church if you want this. If you, you could baptize, if you want, you know, the the, the nations were were very uh, divided, not in the liturgy, uh, the national churches, but they were divided according to the their ethnic customs. And sometimes it could be a, a rather fierce division. So that's the idea of national churches, and they still exist. Uh, there's Vietnamese parishes, quite a lot of Spanish parishes in Chicago. We we were the Vietnamese parish. We were the Eritrean parish. 
And so, and uh, we were a, a kind of Mecca for Guatemalans. So we were a tri-national parish. Of course, we had the generic Americans like me there too, back when I was at St. Thomas of Canterbury. Because, you know, I don't believe there's such a thing as race. I really don't. I, I don't think, you know, I think a person with very dark skin, educated in a very white world, would be no different in their tastes and, and, and uh, sentiments than someone who was of a paler shade that skin color has nothing to do with anything but there is ethnicity and there is language so different cultures genuinely are different and i think that it's fine to to emphasize those differences if you think of them as gifts to give one another if you think well my ethnicity is better than your ethnicities well that's wrong there's none better than the other uh, not even the German. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking, of course. No, but if we look at them as gifts to give one another, this is our custom. It's This is why we do it. We think it's a lovely custom. Oh, and that's what you do. That's a lovely custom that you do. Instead of saying, well, you're wrong. I'm right. I will never, ever forget. I was in a, a grocery store uh, in Uptown, and there was a very large African woman, Nigerian, dressed in the gorgeous outfit of the Nigerians, and uh, this dear woman was shucking corn. It was a wonderful deal, a dozen for a couple bucks, and she's shucking the corn in the store. And this little fellow, who I suspect was uh, a Jewish American, um, he was just reading her the riot act, and we don't do that in this country, and you don't, you know, no, no. I felt, sir, you should be careful. This woman could squash you like a bug. But he followed her around the store yelling at her. She showed great forbearance. But in her country, that's what you did. And, you know, in this country, it's not what we do. But this doesn't devalue us as human beings. We are all made in the image and likeness of God, and no one is made in a closer image to him than another human being. Uh, so, so, um, ethnic churches, lovely things. Racist churches, horrible things. All right, that said, let us go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And uh, then we'll take calls at 888-914-9149. Well, it's all night, all day. Watching over me, my Lord. Well, it's all night. All day, angels are watching over me. Well, it's all <laughs> night. All I'm laughing. Day. You gotta laugh. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. This is this is just an old canard, which I think a canard is actually a duck. But at any rate, people get all upset when we talk about Saints Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel. Well, Saints Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, why are they saints? They're angels. They're not saints. The word saint is just a Latin word that means holy. And yes, they are holy. They aren't what we think of as canonized saints, uh, but they are holy because they they live in the presence of the Lord. You know, um, uh, well, I suppose I could end there having explained it. The word saint in, uh, in Latin is sanctus, holy. It just means holy. Sanctus, 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 we say it, mass. Holy, holy, holy. And 
I, I think I've shared with you what I shared with my students, the time and alcohol concept or the, the time and alcohol principle of language learning that time does in the long run for language what alcohol does in the short run. It slurs it. So sanctus became santo, in English it became saint. Uh, so uh, it just means holy Michael, holy Gabriel, holy Raphael. And, you know, very interesting in... Um, uh, the the second reading in the office of readings today that um, that uh, um, Saint Gregory uh, the Great who, the Pope talks about uh, the naming of angels. He says some angels are given proper names to denote the service they are empowered to perform in that holy city where perfect knowledge flows from the vision of Almighty God. Those who have no names may easily be known. But personal names are assigned to some, not because they could not be known without them, but rather to denote their ministry when they come among us. Thus, Michael means who is like God. Gabriel means the strength of God. And Raphael means the healing of God, God's remedy. So that's in the Office of Readings today, and it's Pope St. Gregory. So if you want to name your angel, fine. But it's not his name. He doesn't need a name. And he doesn't particularly want a name, uh, but if it if it helps you to to uh, remember that that um, uh, you're in the constant company of the angels, fine. You know, it's not a bad thing. If you start worshiping an angel, well, that's not good. So, all that said, let's go to phone calls. Hello, <laughs> well, Mrs. Doubtfire. Whom do we have on the line at the moment? Alexa. From Salt Lake City. What can I do for you, Alexa? I just have a question. I was listening to another uh, commentator that's called Charles Stanley from a different uh, denomination last week. I'm Catholic. And he was talking about how you must be immersed, not sprinkled. And if you're sprinkled when you are baptized, that means nothing but immersion in the Bible is how we're supposed to do it. What do you think of that? I think that that man is living under the law. The man is living under the law. In other words, uh, uh, let me let me look some up here. But he he is, you know, he's he's talking about faith, not works. He's he's saying that one is saved by a work of the law, and we're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by works of faith, in conjunction with works of faith. Saint James says we're not saved by faith alone. But it's funny how. Um, um, uh, the um, um, people who would say we don't believe in in the uh, uh, we don't believe in the um, uh, come on let me okay I found the, the text here uh, you, we don't believe in the um, um, that you're saved by works. Well, they're saying you can't go, you can't be saved without without being immersed in water. And the scriptures, strictly speaking, never never mention uh, uh, water. They say you're to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's assuming it's water, and I think it is water. Now, this is a document that was written about one at the latest, 110 A.D. Some people say it was written as early as 50 A.D. This is called the Didache. I mentioned it earlier, the teaching of the 12 apostles. In chapter 7, it says, Concerning baptism, baptized in this way, having first said all these things, baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in living water. In other words, you should do it in a stream that is is 
flowing. But if you have not living water, baptize into other water. If you cannot in cold, in warm. But if you have not either, pour out water thrice upon the head. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, in 110 AD at the latest, they were pouring water on Christian heads. These people were within the lifetime of the disciples. The, the apostles of Jesus believed it valid to pour water on the head as a form of baptism. You could immerse or pour water on the head, and we Catholics still believe that. And those, those legalists who insist, no, it's got to be a dunk or it doesn't count, they're just being legalists. And they're, they're, they're believing that you're saved by a work of the law. And St. Paul says clearly we're not. So the early Christian testimony is that pouring of water on the head is just fine. But they know much more than the people who knew Jesus. Do you follow where I'm going with this? Yeah. 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 And one more question, and I'll sure. get off. Another no thing that I have heard, there's no purgatory, okay? The Baptist, mm -hmm. whoever I'm listening to on this other station, said there's no, 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 there's no such place. Well, let me talk about let me talk about that. Uh, let me find the scripture quote that proves purgatory not forgiven in this age or the age to come. Okay, okay, there we go. Matthew thirteen. Okay, Matthew uh, twelve thirty two rather. Okay, uh, that hold on. Let me let me go back here and get the uh, reference that I prefer. Actually, good grief. Okay. In Matthew twelve thirty two, Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. In other words, in the age to come, in other words, heaven, there will be forgiveness of sin. This is the best text in the Bible in which Jesus talks about purgatory. This is also something the early Christians believed in. And the idea of purgatory isn't that you can be saved after death. Though so there is an example in First Peter, the third chapter, where Jesus goes to preach to the souls in chains. This is a post-death offer of salvation. But that's not really what purgatory is about. Purgatory is about the idea that I am not uh, in the full image of Christ when I die, that what I have not, what the homework I haven't done in this world, I'll, I'll get to finish. In other words, I, I don't die a finished product, but I still continue to grow. To me, purgatory is one of the most beautiful ideas of the Catholic faith, that it means that when I die, I will continue to grow in love because I will stand before the God who is love and light and everything in me that isn't light and love will be burned away by the fire of God's love. This is a beautiful thing. Uh, they don't understand purgatory and the the beauty that it is. It means I will continue to grow until I reach the full stature of Christ, as Scripture says elsewhere. So, yeah, the, the, it's clear that there is forgiveness of sins in the age to come. Jesus says so. Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Does that help? Yes, is thank any, you so oh, much. Oh, good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> know, Matthew twelve thirty two. My ears are kind of not really oh, up. That's all right. Okay. That's all right. I, well, I really I'll, thank you so much. Well, God bless. And, and you know, I mean, these God people have you. been attacking us for 500 years, and I don't mm -hmm. know why they keep doing it. If we could only stress the things that we have in common, I think the world might be a better place. All right. Well, thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks for thank calling you. in. Thank God you. bless you. All right. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Paul from Youngstown, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. 
Um, I just had a question about baptism. I am Eastern Orthodox. Yes. And uh, traditionally the Orthodox baptized by triple immersion. Yes. And we would say that uh, the Didache uh, prefers immersion when yes. and wherever possible. Now, in some cases, a person cannot be immersed due to old age or illness or just yes. simply a lack of water, whereby pouring would be allowed. But sure. I don't. I don't think the pouring should replace the norm of immersion, especially in today's world when we have access to ample amounts of water. How do you well, feel about that? Well, you know, I, I, I think there's no question as to the validity of 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 pouring or sprinkling. Um, I don't think I don't even think the Orthodox would question that because, as you say, in the Eastern Church and and the Eastern uh, Byzantine churches in union with Rome, they would they would follow the the uh, Eastern practice, you know, and it is, I think it is preferable. And I think a lot of people have seen that it isn't required though. And the reason that we did it that way uh, in the middle ages was, well, <laughs> those churches in Europe are cold. And, you know, I think they had actually in certain places, there was, a, um, you know, there were, there were kind of Oh, space constraints and time constraints, and it just became much more convenient. And so they installed baptismal fonts that were designed only for, for pouring. And so, in a sense, it did become a necessity because immersion was not possible uh, in, in, well, in the is. church. It is now. It is it now. Is. And very, you know, more and more Roman Catholic churches have baptismal fonts that are, are you know, that in which you can be immersed. So, uh, you yeah. know, we, we, we certainly believe in, in the uh, validity and actually the preferability of, uh, especially for an adult, of immersion. But it's not something in which we are adept after these mm, 15, 16, 17 centuries, but we're catching up. So, no, it, it isn't a matter of validity, uh, and, and I think, but I, you know, it's kind of funny. What, what the Didache says is that what you really need to do is go find a flowing stream outside. And, and uh, so all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're sprinkling our babies, and you guys are dunking them in the church. What we're supposed to do is go down to the river like the Baptists. So, but, yeah. but you know, that, that the impossibility of things or the inconvenience of them. I don't know many mothers who are going to allow some clumsy, you know, uh, Latin priest, a uh, uh, Western priest, who's probably going to drop the baby and drown it to, to dunk their baby. But uh, you Greeks are better at it, so there you go. Does that help? a little well it does but uh, <laughs> i just i just think people are going to see the uh the burial with christ the three-day burial oh, yeah is, well uh, it's it, a burial it, in the resurrection no it's a beautiful it's, uh, thing and we we do it much more now than we used to in in the in the latin church uh much more but but nonetheless it it can get it can get a little showy, and in our times, it's is a question of decency. And I think that was the ancient church. Very interesting. Uh, you know, people talk about deaconesses, and uh, it seems that that there were deaconesses in the early church, but it was not an ordained or liturgical position. But they were. Uh, involved in the baptism and the preparation for baptism of of women and children lest there be any immorality so that's another thing to think about you know should we have uh uh you know that that um uh 
we would now, of course, have a baptismal row, but it can get a little dicey. So, um, you know, it's 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 kind of what the market will bear. So, no, I, I think you have a point, and I think a lot of Western churches are uh, Western uh, Roman churches are beginning to. Um, to look at that, but on the other hand, it doesn't question the validity of it. So, well, thanks for listening. I'm honored that you listen, and um, you know, let us always remember to stress the the love of Christ that we have in common, uh, rather than the the points of difference. So, God bless you, and thanks for listening. Do who do we have now, dear voice in my head? Joanne from Branchville, New Jersey. Are you with us, Joanne? What can I do for you? Yes, I am, Father. Happy St. Michael the Archangel Day. Yes, yes. What, what do you think of this? We had a beautiful Mass a celebration at mm-hmm. Our Lady Queen of Peace in northwest New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, young men and women in blue, law enforcement first responders, mm. a thank you Mass. Wonderful. And it was absolutely beautiful, Father. Out, out in the woods, Beautiful music, homily, and thank you. Thank you to them for, you know, watching oh, over a, us. It's a tough <laughs> job these days. Angels are watching over them. Yes, yes. it's a tough, they don't yes, get we should keep them in our prayers. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's yes. beautiful. So, beautiful, yeah, yeah, it's, it's. So there are angels this... watching over us as Michael, the archangel, watches over them. So. Amen. It should yes. be a holiday. It should be a holiday. It should be. Yes, it should be. You know, that's an interesting thought to pray, especially for for policemen and police women uh, in these very dangerous and difficult times in which they have a thankless task. Um, uh, they're afraid to do their job. Uh, uh, you know, when I, when I am stopped <laughs> on the road, I am always very careful to open the window and put both my hands on the steering wheel and say, how can I help you, officer? Uh, and and because and if they ever ask why are you being so polite, it's because you have a dangerous job and you don't know, you don't know when you pull someone over if they're crazy or not. So uh, may I, and when you get your license, may my license is in my glove box. May I get it, officer? That I think we owe them great respect and great care because they. Every time they pull someone over, they're risking their lives. So thanks for calling and reminding us of that. Do we have time for one more phone call, dear voice in my head? Super quick. Lucy in California, I got less than a minute. What can I do for you, Lucy? Yes, Father. First of all, I want to tell you that I love you. I just thank to you. you every day. Oh, God bless I already, you. Uh, you kind of already answered my question. I want to ask you, where in the Bible it talks about purgatory? Because my brother, born again, doesn't believe in it. Well, there you go. Have them listen to this, you know. And if they understood purgatory, they they'd want to believe in it because it's so beautiful to think that I don't stop growing when I enter the vision of God. I keep growing when I judgment is that is that finishing up what I didn't finish here. And and God is so good and generous that He will forgive my sins in the age to come. And Drew would forgive you too. He's not God, but he he's he's good friends with God. So don't go anywhere. 